There's a, uh, a title for you, a report from behind bars, a report behind bars, Colossians 1, 1 to 8. I encourage you to uh, have your Bible open in front of you. We are going to start a seven-week series through the book of Colossians. Seven messages, seven weeks, and thereby, hopefully you understand that it will be something of a selective sweep as we go through the book. Well, the Apostle Paul, yet again, let's just uh, see if we can get this picture up. The Apostle Paul, yet again, is in prison for preaching the gospel, chapter 4, verse 3. And as you look at, at the map, it is most likely that Paul is in Rome, in jail. And chapter 1, verse 7, a dear friend of his, Epaphras, who probably planted the church in Colossae, has made the long journey. It is over 2,000 kilometers from Colossae to Rome. And Epaphras has gone there to Paul while he's in jail to encourage him and to tell him about all the wonderful things that have been happening in the church in Colossae. Now, this morning, I want you to imagine that you are a reporter and you are working for the Roman Times. And as a reporter for the Roman Times, your boss has set up an interview for you with the Apostle Paul. The reason that you get the assignment, because it looks like it's going to be a great story of someone unfairly locked up for a crime that perhaps isn't a crime. Your boss wants the story because... Uh, it could make headline news, and your boss has pulled a few strings in order to get you this story. This could be a wonderful career move for you. Now, let's just take a name for you, which is either male or female, so there's no bias. You are Charlie, the reporter. You're Charlie, the reporter. You get to the jail, and the very first nervy thing happens. You meet the Roman guard, who is this large, imposing character, but he is remarkably kind to you and gentle. And he says to you with a rather wry smile, so you here to interview Paul, are you? Yes, you say, rather matter-of-factly. He does a little chuckle, which starts to make you feel somewhat uncomfortable. He takes you to the cell. It's a reasonably sized cell. When suddenly you are confronted with the calming presence of the Apostle Paul. For someone that has been unjustly jailed and locked up, his calm and his peace to you is somewhat disconcerting. Paul welcomes you warmly and he invites you to sit down on the floor with him where he is shackled in his chains. 
You've got your reporter's pad all ready. You've got your questions lined up. And you start with your first question to the Apostle Paul. You say, let's get back to it. You say to Paul, Paul, won't you tell me a little bit about who you are? Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, well, my, my, my name is Paul. I was previously Saul before I became a Christian. I am an apostle by the will of God. Oh, and just by the way, uh, these, these guys locked up here with me over here, uh, this, this, is, this is Timothy over here, uh, this is Aristarchus. Oh, and by the way, there in the corner is my mate Epaphras, who's visiting from Colossae. Wow. You sort of look over at Epaphras and you say, mate, you're a long way from home, over 2,000 kilometers. And Epaphras replies, he says, yeah, mate, nothing like the distances in Australia, though. <laughs> True, you say with a nod. They all greeted you warmly, and they carry on writing whatever they were continuing to write. Paul, you, you say that you're an apostle of Jesus Christ. What do you mean? Paul continues, he says, well, it's part of a much bigger story. I, I was a Jesus-hating Jew, but after Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose from the dead, went back to heaven, he appeared to me when I was on the road to Damascus, and he told me to stop persecuting him and go and tell everybody in the world that he is Lord and Savior. Suddenly to yourself, you think this is going to be quite a story. This Paul in front of you is a bit of a loony. So Paul, what exactly are you locked up for? I mean, are you locked up because someone appeared to you from heaven and spoke to you? Uh, Paul laughs. He says, I, uh, no, I'm chained up. Because I've been telling Jews and non-Jews the good news about Jesus. Paul, I don't understand. If you've been telling people good news, why are you in jail? That's a good question, Charlie. Because, here's the reason, because Jews and non-Jews, they don't like to be told that they're not good enough to be saved. And they don't like to hear that their sins need to be forgiven. And they don't like to be told that they need to be reconciled to the Father in heaven. And they don't like to be told that unless they're forgiven and reconciled, that God is going to judge them and send them to hell. You're writing this down as fast as you can as a reporter, but Paul continues... But you see, Charlie, the good news is that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to die on a cross to forgive people's sins, but some people just cannot accept that they're not good enough to God. They just cannot accept that they deserve judgment for wrongdoing. As you're writing this down, you start to feel a little bit tense within yourself. You start to say to yourself, well, I'm not, such a, I'm not such a bad person. 
You say to yourself, well, I, 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 I don't do everything right, but is God going to judge me and, and send me to hell and, unless I'm forgiven by Jesus? This Paul is a real loony. Maybe he deserves a loony bin, not a jail. This interview is not going according to plan. And so you desperately try to change the subject. And you know, you know there's no way that your boss back at the Roman times is ever going to print this. So you try to redirect the questions. And you say to Paul, Paul, but I, okay, thank you for that. But I want to ask you three questions. And here are the questions. Paul, what are the conditions like in the jail? Uh, do you feel unfairly treated? What do you miss most about being on the outside? But what Paul says next stuns you. Charlie, I'm so thankful to God. Those words blow you away. You look around at the prison, you look around at the chains. This man is chained like an animal and he's thankful. You take your pad and you write thankful in big capital letters on your pad, question mark. With a fairly stunned look on your face, you look at Paul and you say, Paul, how on earth can you be so thankful when you're locked up in this jail, when you've been locked up for saying things to people that is actually good news? Well, Paul continues. He says, well, let me tell you why I'm so thankful. Because Epaphras here in the corner, he's come some 2,000 kilometers to tell me about all the wonderful things that are happening in Colossae. And my heart is so thankful. You so desperately want to bring this conversation back to the questions that you had. But Paul is off and running. And you say to yourself, man, Paul, he's a real gabber, isn't he? Here's what happened, Charlie. Epaphras here became a Christian. And he lives in Colossae. And then after becoming a Christian, Epaphras goes around telling people the good news about Jesus. And, and Charlie, people started believing in Jesus. They started believing this good news. And I am so thankful to God. And I just want to keep praising him. You can see that the Apostle Paul's getting rather excited and you realize that you're going to be running out of notes. Paul continues, Charlie, not only has the gospel formed a new congregation of believers in Colossae, but I could tell you how the gospel has been creating churches and communities and congregations all over the world, even in places like Australia, even in places like Bustleton. You say to yourself, you have no idea where Bustleton is. Slow down, Paul. I, I just need to get this right. Let me, let me clarify. Here you are in jail, unjustly, unfairly. You get a, a visit from a mate in Colossae that tells you that people have been believing this Jesus gospel thing. You haven't even met them, and you are so grateful and thankful to God for that. 
Yes, Charlie. Yes. Paul says with a beaming face. Suddenly you realize that this report is not going to be about this guy, Paul, but it's going to be about the gospel. You know that you should instantly stop this interview and go away or get out of there, but, but you're intrigued. Something, something's grabbed you. And you say, okay, Paul, tell me more. Oh, Paul is a, he's a good Baptist. Because he says, Charlie, let me just tell you three things. Three things more. And won't you write these things down? Here's the first thing, Charlie. The gospel is received by faith in Jesus Christ. Charlie, this, this gospel that has, been, that has put me into prison, it needs to be received by faith. And that's exactly what's happened in Colossae. People started believing it by faith when Epaphras went around telling them about the good news. You don't understand. So you say to Paul, Paul, Paul what do you mean they, they put their, their faith in Jesus? Charlie... As Epaphras shared the gospel with them, they, they saw their wrongdoing before God. They saw that there was nothing they could do to fix the wrong they had done. And, and they believed that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to die on a cross and rise from the dead and, 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 and to forgive them their sins, to take the judgment for them and to forgive all their sin. Chapter 2, verse 13. They believed this gospel, Charlie. They, they trusted in Jesus and what he had done. Paul, tell me a little bit more about this bloke, Jesus, who came from heaven to die on a cross. And as you ask that question, suddenly Paul's face brightens up. It beams so much and you realize that Paul wants to talk about no one else except Jesus Christ. Charlie, this Jesus, this Jesus is the Son who is the image of the invisible God. He is the divine Son of God who became a man. He made the world then became a man in order to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is to reconcile us back to the Father through the cross. You suddenly remember as a reporter, not too long ago, there was another piece in the Roman times written by some other reporter, a story about a Roman governor named Pilate who had crucified a rebellious Jew named Jesus. And you, you remember that you didn't pay much attention to the story because, I mean, Romans were crucifying Jews all the time. I mean, even on the way to the jail, there were, there were crucified bodies all the way along the road. You suddenly look straight at Paul as a reporter and you say to Paul, Paul, this is a crazy, stupid story. <laughs> Paul chuckles. 
Now, Charlie, I know that it sounds utter foolishness to you. And yes, it is a stumbling block to the Jews. But this crazy, stupid, foolish story is the only story that is going to give people a relationship with the Father forever. You suddenly find yourself getting somewhat irritated, even somewhat angry inside, but you realize your anger is not at Paul, but it's at this message that is making you feel decidedly uncomfortable. Okay, Paul, you say rather irritated. You say the gospel needs to be received by faith. Give me your second point. Charlie, not only is the gospel received by faith, but it results in love, in love. Because what this gospel has produced in these people in Colossae is a deep love for one another. And this love is something that is called loving in the Spirit, verse 8. You see, Charlie, this, this, this gospel doesn't just forgive people all their sins. It, it doesn't just reconcile them to the Father when it's believed. But this gospel transforms people's lives and gives them a growing love for other Christians and gives them a growing love for even for those who are not Christian, but especially for Christians. You suddenly feel like your head is going to pop. Paul, explain a little bit more, please. Charlie, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he then gives his spirit to come and live in you, which is Christ in you, chapter 1, verse 27. And when that spirit comes to live inside you, he, he, he changes you. He gives you a new heart. He changes the whole direction of, of your life to follow Jesus and to love people, especially the people of God. But Charlie, it's, 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 not, it's not our love. It's... It's God's love in us. And let me try and explain it to you this way. In, in another letter that I wrote to the Christians in Rome, he, here's, here's how it goes. God, Romans 5 verse 5, God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You start thinking to yourself, well, this guy is talking about faith and he's talking about love. And I suppose the very next thing he's going to talk about is hope. I mean, you saw faith, love, and hope on some sort of hallmark card somewhere. Paul says, Charlie, can I give you my third point? The gospel rests in hope. Oh, there it is, isn't it? Faith, love, and hope. Charlie, hope is something that you look forward to. And most people in this world only have hope for today, which is why they live for today. They live for, for the moment. And, and for most people in this world, they have no idea what happens after death. 
So many people, Charlie, think that there is no life after death. Or so many people think that, well, if you've lived a reasonably good life, you're going to go to some sort of happy place where everything's going to be okay. But the good news of the gospel, which is our hope, is that one day we're going to live in a new kingdom, chapter 1, verse 13, a new kingdom with Jesus Christ as king face to face. We're going to go to a world where there's no pain, no suffering, no hardship, no Alzheimer's, no cancer. There's going to be no jails. There's going to be no chains. Hold on, hold on a second, Paul. Are you, are you saying this world as we know it is going to end? Yes, Paul says, exactly. But, but hang on a second, Paul. What about all the save the planet stuff? What about all the save the animals? What about all this save the climate stuff? Paul has a rueful <laughs> smile on his face and says to you, mm, Charlie, not bad things in themselves, but let me quote my good friend Peter. I think he's somewhere in Rome. I'm not sure where he is probably somewhere preaching the gospel. My good friend Peter put it like this in his letter. He said, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. See, the hope of the gospel, Charlie, is that one day we will live in a new world with Jesus and with all who believe in him. Suddenly, as you're writing down, there's a bit of a light bulb that goes off in your head. And you say, you say, Paul, Paul, have I got this right? What are you saying? Are you, are you saying, well, well if, if we're going to live together with Jesus one day face to face and all people are going to die at some point, are you therefore saying that everybody's going to be raised from the dead? Yes, Charlie, that's exactly what I'm saying. One, G one day Jesus is going to come back from heaven. He will raise everybody from the dead just as he was raised. And for those who believe in him and have been transformed by the gospel of love and they have this hope, they will be ushered into eternal life. You suddenly butt in. But, but Paul, what, what happens to those who don't believe? I'm so glad you asked, Charlie. It's not a pleasant truth. But for those who do not have the hope of the gospel, there will be eternal punishment in a place called hell. Your flares and your hackles and the hair on the back of your neck suddenly stand up and you blurt out of Paul. Paul, no one believes that anymore. And you sort of say it before you've been able to pull yourself back in. No one believes this anymore, Paul. I mean, didn't you hear John Lennon's song on the radio? Imagine there's no heaven and imagine there's no hell. Paul looks very seriously at you and says, Charlie, people can imagine all they want. You can imagine all you want. But let me quote from my other letter again to the Christians in Rome. Here's the truth. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Charlie, the gospel rests on hope. Suddenly, the prison guard pops his face in the doorway and with a smile looking at Paul says, Paul, time's nearly up. Paul, I can give you five more minutes. The God says to Paul, Paul, I know you'd love to keep on talking to this reporter, but if I give you more than five minutes, the prison officer is going to have my head. Paul gives the God a knowing smile and says to the God, Flavius, all good, my brother. Five more minutes will be enough. You're stunned. <laughs> Paul has just called the Roman God a, a brother. The God can see the startled look on your face, and with a slightly lowered voice, he says to you, Charlie, can I call you Charlie? You sort of nod rather nervously. Charlie, this gospel of faith, love, and hope Paul shared it with me. I mean, go figure, I'm chained to him a lot of the time on some of my shifts. And as Paul shared this gospel with me, I believed. And this gospel has changed my life. It's filled me with love. And I love this guy, Paul, so, so much. And I hope that you're going to go and spread this all over the Roman times. And he walks out. You can't take it anymore. You're about to explode. Okay, Paul. Let me sum up, and then it's time for me to go. Paul, you're so thankful to God because a Christian friend named Epaphras has told you about some people in Colossae who have believed in the gospel, had their lives transformed by love, and they're trusting in the hope of the gospel. Have I got this right, Paul? Paul is smiling, he's beaming, it's from ear to ear. He says, Charlie, you've got it exactly right. You're a good listener. And I would be very pleased if you splashed this news all over the Roman times. You remain quiet. You know that there is no way that your boss is ever going to print this. I mean, just the other day, your boss was ranting and raving about all the hypocritical Christians in the church and all those pastors who have failed so morally and fallen from grace. You start to put your pad away. Paul, thank you for speaking to me. I'm not sure that I'm going to see you again, but good luck. And you turn to leave. And just as you turn to leave, Paul says, thank you, Charlie, for coming. What about you? Now, the God has clearly been eavesdropping because he suddenly pokes his head in the doorway again, grinning, and says to Paul, okay, Paul, I see where you're going. I'm actually going to give you another five minutes, Paul. Flavius, my brother, thank you. I'll take another five. 
your back's still turned. And Paul says again, Charlie, what about you? What, what, do, you, what do you mean, Paul, what about me? Well, Charlie, this, this, this gospel of Jesus, Jesus didn't just come to save Jews like me. He didn't come just to save non-Jews like those in Colossae and Epaphras. He didn't just come to save Roman gods like Flavius. This gospel is for you. This faith in Jesus is for you. This transformed love is for you. This hope is for you. If you would come to Jesus. You see, Charlie, the wages of your sin is death. But Charlie, the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ for you. You're rattled. Thanks, Paul. Hope your time in jail, not too long. You rush out of the door. You don't even look at the beaming face of Flavius. You get home that night. You can't eat. You can't drink. You can't sleep. You're wrestling. You're tossing. You're turning. It gets to about 3 o'clock in the morning when suddenly... You get down on your knees beside your comfy bed, conscious of Paul lying asleep on a jail floor. And you bow your knee to the Lord of heaven and earth, to Jesus Christ, to the one who came from heaven to live and die and rise and ascend and come back for those who would believe in him. You put your faith in the one that died on the cross and shed his blood. And you receive the forgiveness of all your sins. And suddenly as you're on your knees praying, a burden and a weight is lifted from your soul. And you know that somehow you have just experienced a love that saves and a hope that gives eternal life. Tears are running down your grateful face. It's now about 3.30 in the morning, you still can't sleep, and you decide that you're going to write that report for your boss. You don't get any sleep. A couple of hours later, you walk into the Roman Times office, your knees are wobbling and you head towards the boss and you stand before his table and you rather nervously put your report down in front of him. In what seemed like an eternity, your boss takes a good few minutes to read the report. When suddenly... He looks up at you over his glasses and says, Charlie, what's this? What's this rubbish? I told you to get a story about a madman that's locked up in a jail somewhere. What the heck is going on? 
No one is going to read this rubbish about the gospel. He turns his back on you in anger. And a few seconds pass again, which seem like an eternity. And with his back still turned towards you, he suddenly lets out an almighty shout that, so that everybody in the office could hear. He says, Charlie, I hope you haven't become one of these followers of Jesus, have you? The moment of truth had come. Your knees are knocking. Your palms are sweaty. You're perspiring. It feels like your tongue is stuck to the top of your mouth. What sounded more like a squeak than a statement. Yes, boss. I have become a follower of Jesus. And I ask you humbly to print the story. The boss turns around, lowers his glasses, gets up into your face a little closer than you want due to COVID, and says to you, Charlie, get out of my face, get out of my office, Take your bags and go and walk, go and work for the Christian reporters down the road. Now get out! You walk out of the office, you pack your bags, you leave, wondering if you can barely walk, but deep down inside, you're rejoicing. Because you have been counted worthy of disgrace for the sake of the name. BBC, BBC, I thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when I pray for you. Because I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of all the love that you have for God's people. For the faith and the love that has sprung from the hope that is stored up in heaven for you. Which you have already heard about. That has come to you. Every time I pray for you, BBC. I thank God for you. For the faith. For the love. And for the hope that he has given to you. Praise and thanks be to our God. I'm going to ask the music team to come and join me.